other day I was visiting my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, and they have little kids. And uh, so Brandy and I, our kids are old, you know, and they're getting sorry, you know, they're getting snarky and like teenagers do. And so, so we just love our little niece and nephew. And, and uh, my nephew, his name's Braylon, he's eight years old. Uh, we're watching a football game on TV, and he's sitting there playing a game on his Nintendo Switch. He's focused right there. And uh, I, I'm not paying attention to him, but I hear him say, come on, Mario, you had one job, bruh. I was like, bruh, bruh, what is that? You had one job. You're familiar with that expression, right? It's what you say when someone was given an obviously easily accomplishable task, and somehow it just went spectacularly wrong. You familiar with that phrase, you had one job? You see those memes online? I brought a few of those memes with me just to like prime the pump and get you going. Uh, I don't know whose job it was to put the stickers on this door, but uh, I don't know what you want from me. Do I go in this door? I think they're supposed to go on opposite sides. Like All you had to do was not put them on the same side of the door. How about, how about the next one? That drain is supposed to be where at the bottom, where the water can drain out for us. Kyle, if you need me to switch up the microphone, let me know. We'll do that. Uh, Dan Castillo, if you're watching online, they could have used your help on that one. What a spectacular mess. How about this next one? I don't know whose job it was to make this particular sign, <laughs> but what I want to see is the person who can swim and smoke at the same time. If you can do both of those things, I say you get a pass. No, no harm there. Uh, last one I brought for you. Just so we're all clear, the, fireworks, the fire truck's job is to stop the fire, not be the fire. One job. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I am like a walking, you had one job meme. You ever feel that way? Like, how did I mess that up? How do I, how do I make a mess out of that? It was so, so simple. Uh, I have at times, believe it or not, uh, failed spectacularly at things that should have been very simple, not difficult at all. You've heard me do the announcements before. Pastor Rick, that was amazing. How am I ever going to do the announcements again? It's going to be like a, you had one job, just do the announcements. We've been going through this book of James. Okay, here's, why I, here's why I bring that up. We've been going through the book of James, and all along the way, as we're going through the book of James, okay, you remember, James is Jesus' brother. That's, that's tough right there. Uh, we're going through the book of James, and he's giving us these instructions on how to live as a person who's following Jesus. He's given us all kinds of instructions, and to be honest, it's a pretty high bar. And he says, right at the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, verse 22, he says, don't just listen to the word, do what it says. And you're thinking, yeah, that sounds great. I, I should be consistent, right? If I believe in Jesus, if I believe that this is God's word, I should be consistent. I should do what it says. Let me just tell you a few things that James says you should do. This is how you should live if you're a follower of Christ. According to James, a person who is truly a follower of Jesus has characteristics like this. You're faithful even when you're under fire. Even when you're under pressure, you stay faithful and consistent. You're loving. You're selfless. Sounds like all of you so far. A person who's following Jesus, James says, is self-controlled, patient, has a tight rein on their tongue. Some of you just fell off right there. That, that, one, that one does a lot of us in. A person who's following Jesus is content with what they have, and they're also materially generous with what they have. They're kind. Sometimes the hardest thing for me to do is just be nice. But James says, if you're following Jesus, you should be kind. And above all, 
the theme of the book of James. Above all, he says, the thing you should definitely do if you are a follower of Jesus is you should be consistent, consistent between what you believe, what you say, and what you do. Okay, so I read that list off. How'd you do? Were you consistent all the way through all of those things? Those qualities sound like a pretty great, you know, that'd be a wonderful person. I would love to have that person be my neighbor. But the truth is, that's a really high bar. And if I examine my life compared to that list of qualities, it turns out I'm pretty shaky. I'm not, I'm not as consistent as I would like to be. I don't get it right all the time. Turns out I actually am not that solid of a foundation in and of myself. I actually really need God's grace. I really need God's help. And so we've been going through this book of James, and it really shows to me I think James is setting the bar really high so that when we see that list and we realize we don't measure up, it will drive us back to our need for God's grace. It will make us say, you know what? If God's not gracious with me, this isn't going to work out well. It makes me realize, I don't know if I'm ever going to get there perfectly, but God is always gracious. When I go out into the world, I go out into the marketplace, all the places you go during the week, Here's what happens in the world. Every time you're inconsistent, every time you make a mistake, you screw up, it just shows you you're not good enough. Right? We, we just want to highlight all of our strengths, and everyone wants to look perfect. I mean, nobody ever posts a picture of their kid picking a booger, right? It's, hey, A+, plus. my kid's the greatest kid ever. Right? We're, we're just putting on this facade as we go through life constantly. But the Bible tells a different story. The Bible says that our failure... And our weakness should remind us, not that we aren't good enough, but it should remind us how awesome, loving, and gracious God is. That's such good news. People say sometimes, man, Christians are hypocrites. And I'm like, I know, we are the worst. We're horrible. Isn't it awesome that God loves us and wants us anyway? Isn't it awesome that God loves you and wants you anyway? I mean, you know you, right? Would you love you and want you? God, God loves you. He's crazy about you, more than you can imagine. And so we went through the, the Sermon on the Mount, like Pastor Rick mentioned. And you know what the last thing Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is? Matthew 7, 24. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, whoever takes these words and builds their life on it will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. That sounds like the place I want to be. So today, what I want to do is I'm actually going to call a little time out in the book of James uh, because we could look at that list and start to get pretty discouraged. Today, what I want to do is I want to tell you a story about a guy named The Rock. Not Dwayne Johnson. Right? I don't know if I'm going to do that. I know what you're thinking, Apes. You're like, Dad, when he raises his eyebrow, he actually looks like Dwayne Johnson. I know. I know. I get that all the time. Not that rock. The OG, Petros. We know him as Peter. Jesus gave him the name Petros. It means The Rock. So if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, you can go to 1 Peter. We're going we're gonna to land there uh, by the time we're done here in a few minutes. Uh, you, can, you can flip over there. But I just want to tell you the story or a story about this guy, Peter. He was simultaneously very remarkable and pretty ordinary, a pretty normal guy. Peter experienced a pretty significant amount of failure in his life. Uh, and there was this situation where he just had one job. It was an easy job. He didn't even have to do anything. He just had to not do something. Don't deny Jesus. That was his one and only job if he wanted to be 
successful. So let me tell you a little bit about Peter. His name was actually Simon originally. I don't know how Dwayne Johnson became known as The Rock, but the Bible tells us how Peter got that name. Uh, sometimes we get this picture about uh, the disciples and about Jesus. I, uh, you know the, the painting of the Last Supper, the one where they're all sitting on the side of the table snuggling? Like, it's kind of weird. I don't really know what was going on like in the artist's mind there. I'm pretty sure I don't want to know. But you look at that picture, and you know, it's just like, ah, they just look like a bunch of like, gentle, friendly people. Well, think about this. Jesus was a carpenter. Before there were trucks, before there were power tools, you need a two-by-four, guess what? You don't go to Home Depot. You cut down a tree and start carving. How about that? Peter was a fisherman. Before there were gas-powered marine engines, before there were cranes to pull in the ropes. Uh, so you tell me, were they soft and meek and gentle and weak? The evidence would suggest otherwise. Uh, the evidence would tell me probably quite the opposite. It turns out that Peter was actually a pretty impulsive guy, kind of the trial and error type, you know, like talk now, think later. Uh, so like what we see in Peter is he's the kind of guy, if you ask Peter a question, you're going to get an answer. If you challenge Peter or you challenge one of Peter's friends, he's going to stand up. You should be prepared for that when it comes to Peter. And Jesus asked his disciples one time, he said, hey guys, who do people say that I am? And they list off some names, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, uh, maybe one of the other prophets. All of those people basically did the same thing. They're, they're prophets. They're basically saying, yeah, we don't really know. The people are all over the board. And then Jesus says, okay, who do you say I am? You guys have been hanging around with me. You've known me for a while. Who do you say I am? And you know sometimes when there's like a really uh, a deep question, especially if it's like a spiritual question, it always feels like a trick, right? Like the person wants you to give the answer so that they can tell you why they're wrong. Uh, Peter doesn't seem to be worried about that because he's the one who just blurts out the answer. He says to Jesus, Matthew 16, 17, he says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're the one we've been waiting for, the one that the prophets foretold hundreds of years ago would come and be the savior of the world. That's you. You're the savior of the world. And Jesus says, Peter, you are so right. You are so blessed, Peter, because you know what? All the people who know the scripture, they know the Bible, they're living really righteous lives, they've seen me, and they didn't figure that out. Peter, God showed you that. You didn't receive that from another person. And he says, you know what? You guys are blessed because you've seen me and you believe in me, but all the people who come after you who don't see me but still believe, that's you, by the way, you're going to be even more blessed by God. How about that? That's good news right there, is it not? So here we are. Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to give you a new name, Petros. Translated the rock. I like to think he called him Rocky. That seems like a better proper name. But Peter, from now on, you're going to be known as the rock. Your name is Peter. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never conquer it. And here we are today. We are in the wake of what happened, that conversation right there. We're the church. The church is still carrying on. Peter was this rock guy. He was a solid guy. He was fearless. He was loyal. He was committed to Jesus. He gave his life away for the cause of Christ. No turning back. Or so he thought. Or so he thought. He thought he was loyal. You might remember a conversation where Jesus is having dinner with his disciples, and it's, it's actually the night before he would go on to be crucified. 
And they're sitting in the room. This is, this is actually when communion happened in its original state. Jesus tells them, tonight, all of you are going to fall away from me. Just imagine, just think what that would be like right now. If Jesus was standing right here, um, we don't really know what he looked like. I'm thinking like about six foot, wearing a black t-shirt, says coach on the front, maybe something like that. Uh, handsome guy. Standing up here and he says, hey, you know, by the end of the day, all of you are going to deny me. What would go through your mind? You know what I'd be thinking? Nope, never going to happen. And that's exactly what Peter thought. Peter says, you know what, Jesus, all these other guys, all y'all might deny him because they're weak, but I, I'm the rock. You know, chest pound, the rock. You gave me that name. I will never betray you. I will die. I am ready to go to my death for you. And Jesus graciously says, tonight, Peter, you're going to have three opportunities to stand up for me, and you're going to deny me at every one of them three different times. And you know what Peter says? Never. Never. You ever fail in a way that you thought would never happen? Ever done something? You thought, I'm not that kind of person. That would never happen to me. I'd never be unfaithful. I'd never become addicted. I'd never tell that kind of a lie. I'd never put money over a relationship. Have you ever thought um, implicitly or explicitly, I would never and then it turned out that you would later on. You ever experienced that kind of failure? There's an infamous story about the Titanic. Uh, the story kind of goes like this. A woman asked a crew hand, uh, is this ship really unsinkable? Because that was the big buzz. Mrs. Caldwell was her name. She asked a crew, a crew member, is this ship really unsinkable? I mean, that's been the publicity all along as they're building this thing. And he said to her, God himself could not sink this ship. So imagine everyone's surprise when on April the 12th, April the 15th, 1912, about 2.20 a.m., um, I'm terrified of the ocean. It's like one of my only phobias. Uh, and the only thing that's worse than the ocean is the ocean at night. Imagine everyone's surprise when the Titanic went right to the bottom of the North Atlantic on that day. That would never happen. 1,500 people found out it would happen. And Peter says to Jesus, Jesus... I'll never betray you. And then when Jesus is arrested just a few hours later, what happens? Peter follows along at a distance. He's standing by the fire and someone says to him, hey, weren't, weren't you with him? Weren't you? No, it wasn't me. Somebody else said, Peter, I, I know you. Yeah, yeah, I saw you with him the other day. No, I don't even know that guy. What, what are you saying? Someone else comes along and says, Ah, your accent gives you away. You're from Galilee. You are one of them. And Peter bursts into a rage, cursing and screaming. I don't know what you're talking about. And Luke tells us that as that happened, as Peter, who so boastfully said, I will never betray you, is running away from Jesus, it says in Luke 22, 61, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter as if it wasn't bad enough already. Just try to set yourself into Peter's shoes. Imagine what it felt like for Peter right there. The one who just a few hours ago said, I will never betray you. And then Jesus watched him do it. Imagine what that felt like. He did exactly what you and I would do. The next verse says, and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. That's exactly what I think I would do if I was in Peter's shoes. 
sandals, as it were. Peter, thank you, that was, that was bad. Peter, Peter ended up being the opposite of a devoted friend, did he not? He ended up being the opposite of strong. He ended up being the opposite of courageous, the opposite of the rock. He failed to live up to his name. It ended up that he behaved hypocritically in the exact opposite manner that he said he would. Anyone ever done that? No need to raise your hand, I'll raise it for all of us. Ever found yourself drowning in your own sense of failure? Me too. I definitely have. You ever found yourself under a weight of shame or embarrassment? I have. I definitely have. You ever lost hope for yourself? Like, God, is there even hope for me? Am I ever going to get this right? You ever made a mistake that was so big, you thought, there's no way I can ever recover from this? Ruined a relationship? Buried yourself in debt to the point that you just thought, this is going to take the rest of my life to get out from under? Destroyed your reputation? Broken trust with someone else? Have you ever just had the thought, I think it's kind of just game over for me? I just... I just don't see how I can come back from this. My future is ruined. I, I bring that up, you're welcome, because I want you to just feel the weight of Peter's despair and what that might have been like for Peter in that moment. Peter leaves weeping bitterly. A strong man, the rock. He runs away crying. He had to be so torn. And we find Peter just a few days later in John chapter 21, we find Peter, he's out on his fishing boat, and he's got to be asking God, is there hope for me? What's next for me? Am I ever coming back from this? Some of the most painful failures in life will be the ones that you set yourself up for, and you thought, that'll never happen to me. I'll never make that mistake. I got this. I have it under control. Those are some of the most painful lessons when we end up just being a statistic quietly harboring shame. And I got to tell you, it's a heavy weight on the soul. And I think on some level, probably all of us know what that feels like. So here's Peter. He's, he's out on his boat a few days later. Of course, Jesus was arrested. He was crucified. And he rose from the dead, which is amazing news, the, the greatest news of all time. But there's one problem. Peter betrayed Jesus. And now there's this wedge in their relationship it seems that everyone else has the opportunity to go back to him. But what's Peter thinking? He just watched me betray him. How, how can we ever restore our relationship? And Peter's just under the weight of that. So he did what he knows to do. He went fishing. He went back to his old life. Now, I've been fishing. And it uh, gives you a lot of time to think. Probably not a great thing for Peter at this particular moment. He's probably wondering, what, what happened? I thought I was so strong. I thought I was capable. I thought I was better than that. But it turned out that I was weak and incapable and afraid. He weeps bitterly at his disappointment. He leaves the scene and just goes back to what he knows. Ever gone back to what you know, even if you knew it wasn't good for you? That's where Peter is. Okay, so I set up that whole story. What I want to do is roll the tape from that moment 30 years forward to 1 Peter chapter 1. Three decades have gone by from the day that Peter was in that fishing boat. And this is what he writes in a letter to his fellow Christians. 1 Peter 1, 3, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead 
So now we live with great expectation. You know that your expectations, they set up the boundaries of your life. You set up small expectations of God. Uh, you're, you're penning him in. Peter says, we live with great expectations and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Here's Peter, full of life, full of hope, anticipating great things, confident that God has accepted him, full of great expectations. Somehow in that 30 years, he got unstuck from where he was back at the fishing boat. Chapter 2, verse 9, he says that people who reject God, they're destined to stumble through life. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priests. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possessions. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had no identities, now you are God's people. Once there was no mercy for you, but now you have received God's mercy. Peter wore the label, failure, weak, all talk, no action. He wore that label. Peter, you're just a dumb fisherman. Just go back to catching fish. Just stick with what you know. But now he says, that's not the case. We are chosen. We are royal. We're part of God's family. We're God's own people. We're the objects of God's mercy. Something weird happened between those two interactions, between the fishing boat and the time that he wrote these words. Last we saw Peter, he was stuck in the most colossal failure probably of all time. He betrayed the Son of God to his face. If there's something worse that you could possibly do than that, I don't really know what it would be. That's like all-time low stuff. How do you, how you walk that back with God? That's got to be an all-time low. Um, you ever done something regrettable that kind of stuck with you? Like even something dumb, like made an impulse buy? I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to get my hands around my financial situation. And then you bought something with money you didn't have, and you're stuck with the consequences month after month, paying the bill. That ever happened to anybody? Don't raise your hand. Uh, I'll just say it's happened to me before. Uh, my first paying job my first ever paying gig. I was nine years old. My grandparents owned a roadside motel. Those were a big deal back in the day uh, in America uh, called the Rainbow Motel. I was back before the rainbow meant what it does today. Just want to be clear about that. And uh, it was a, a little roadside motel with a, uh, uh, like a camping resort. And my grandfather would pay me during the summer just to run errands around the, uh, around the property. I'm not sure that it was particularly helpful to him, but uh, you know, it was a good deal. I had fun. Uh, and uh, there was something really interesting that happened. Okay, have you ever heard the phrase racked up a bill? Familiar with that phrase? Okay. If you're under 35, you probably have no idea where that came from. Uh, I'm barely old enough to remember this, but on the desk in the lobby of the Rainbow Motel, there was this little device, and when someone would check into the motel, they'd hand over their credit card, and whoever's working there would put the credit card on the device, a little piece of carbon paper over the top of it, and then they'd take the rack, 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 made this very satisfying sound. That sound said, Grandpa just got paid, and I'm getting a pizza. That's what it said to me. Uh, rack, rack, it slide it over there, and it would make an imprint of the card on the carbon paper, all right? So let's just do something fun. Who's old enough to remember those? Okay, okay, what? All right, maybe a little over half. Okay, we're doing good. Uh, and so if you ever wonder why your credit card or debit card has the raised numbers on it, that's why. 
And uh, it was such a satisfying and powerful sound. But back then, what would happen was he would take all those receipts at the end of the week and he would mail them off to Visa and they would mail him back a check. So the people who, you know, put down their card, they might not get the bill for like two or three months. You'd be racking it up, racking up the bill. Our failure can be like that. Pile it up a little bit, but we don't end up really seeing the impact of it for quite a while. Like, I lost my temper again. Rack, rack. I betrayed someone's trust again. Rack, rack. I, I, uh, I got buried in debt again. I got burned again because I went back to this relationship that I knew wasn't good for me. But in that moment, I was really feeling the weight of loneliness, so I just went back again. Rack, rack. Gossip. Addiction. Rack, rack. Envy. Lust. Rack, rack. We can, we can pile it up. I'm here to tell you, as someone in their 40s, in that amount of time, you can rack up a pretty hefty bill. A couple decades go by, that can start to feel like a pretty heavy Wait, all of those things weigh down on our souls. The things that we know aren't good, but we're stuck paying for them. Peter racked up a pretty big debt, so how do you walk that back? God, remember that time when I said I wouldn't betray you, but then I immediately did? Sorry about that. How do you walk that back? Peter's been under the weight of his own guilt, but now he's full of hope when we see him writing this letter in 1 Peter. So what happens? The answer goes all the way back to that day in the fishing boat, and I just want to share with you what happened before we head out today. Right there, uh, Jesus is ultimately executed for the horrific claim of claiming to be the Savior of the world. Uh, Ironically, that's exactly what the prophets for hundreds of years had said was going to happen to the Savior of the world. Jesus died on the cross. But get this, he didn't just die. When he died on the cross, he paid the bill for your sin. In fact, for the sins of the world. Just need to digest that for a second. My sin, my betrayal, all the times that I I knew something was wrong, but I did it anyway, I knew something was not the right thing to say, but I said it anyway. All of those things, Jesus paid the bill for those. God's wrath against all of my failure Jesus satisfied that on the cross. God's wrath against all of your failure, all of your sin, Jesus paid the bill for that on the cross. The penalty was paid. The bill we've racked up, it's been covered. You no longer owe God anything. Peter no longer owed God anything. There was nothing Peter could do to make it right with Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes the hardest person to be gracious with is yourself. And I just want you to know that no matter how far you've gone, God's grace will go farther. God's grace for you will go farther maybe even than your grace for yourself will go. And that's where Peter is. He hasn't digested that yet. He hasn't embraced that yet. Several of of the disciples are fishing with Peter and uh, they're out there all night. They catch nothing. Sounds awesome. I mean, that's a real pick-me-up, right? They catch nothing all night, and someone from the shore yells out, hey, did you guys catch anything? Which is a terrible question to ask a fisherman, especially when the answer is no. They haven't caught caught anything. So the guy on the shore says, hey, throw your nets over on the other side. They do, and and the nets are, are full. And then one of the disciples remembers, Jesus said that same thing like three years ago, and the same thing happened. He turns to Peter, and he says, it's the Lord. And what does Peter do? Okay, this might be what you need to do. Peter dives out of the boat and paddles with all his might to Jesus. 
Maybe that's what God's calling you to do right now. He dives out of the boat, and guess what he finds when he gets there? Jesus is standing by a fire, real similar to how Peter was warming himself by the fire just a few days earlier when he denied Jesus. Jesus is standing there by the fire cooking breakfast for Peter. And right there, as they're standing by the fire, Jesus asked Peter a question. He actually asked him three times. Just like Peter's denial, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, I love you. He asked him again, Peter, do you really love me? Now, what are you thinking if you're Peter? This is about the denial thing, isn't it? This is about the fact that I could have stood up for you and I didn't, and now I'm feeling the shame again. So he says to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know, you know that I love you. You understand everything. And what does Jesus do? Immediately, Peter comes to grips with God's grace. He says yes to Jesus again, and Jesus restores Peter back to his role as a rock in God's kingdom. And what I would say is, if Peter hadn't gone too far, which he didn't, Jesus restored him, then you haven't gone too far. Have some grace for yourself. And in the wake of that moment, that moment of restoration where Jesus welcomes Peter back into relationship and forgives him and accepts Peter back, this is what Peter writes, the last verse from 1 Peter chapter 3.18. He says, Christ suffered once for, for our sins, once for all time. I made a mess of that. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He himself never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. So when God looks out, he sees you. He knows everything. He knows if you love him. He knows if you don't love him. He knows you at your best. He knows you at your worst. He knows you at that moment that if we just put it up on the screen right now, you would rather die. God was there. And guess what? This is what he says about you. This is how he responded to that. Romans 5, 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, although some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So what I would say to that is that when you hear James saying, don't just listen to God's word, but do it, what I would say is, don't just listen to it and then carry on as if nothing happens. Receive it. Embrace it. Build your life on this foundation that Jesus died to bring you safely home to God. Would you do me a favor and stand with me? We're going we're gonna to wrap up. What I, wanna, I want you to hear me say is, if you're broken, which we all are in, in various ways, um, if, if you've failed, if you're under the weight of sin, if you've proven yourself powerless to get it right, you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus died for. It's not for the perfect people, not for the people that you think are nailing it. Guess what? They're broken too. You're exactly the kind of person that God sent his son to die for. Jesus didn't die to disqualify you. He died to qualify you. And there's only one thing necessary for you to do. Follow in Peter's footsteps. Dive in. Paddle to Jesus. Just receive it. Just say yes to Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And you could say yes to Jesus for the first time or the 10,000th time. 
right where you are. I'd encourage you to say yes to Jesus all day, every day. Right where you're at, you can say yes to Jesus. Jessica is going to lead us after that in a declaration of faith and send us off. Uh, but if you want to take a next step and, and you just want someone to pray for you, uh, I'm going to ask uh, my friend Brandon if he can just slip right over here. Uh, Brandy and I will be right over here. We would be glad to, to pray for you when the service is over. Um, if that's something that's of need to you, please feel free to come on, come on by. God, I thank you that you see us in our failure. You see us in our betrayal. You see us in our hypocrisy. All the times that we hold up a standard for other people and then we fail to live up to it, you see that. And your response is love. God, when we have proven ourselves powerless to get it right, Lord, you set your son to get it right for us. Thank you for this incredible gift. Lord, that you have created us anew in Christ. God, that we are your masterpiece. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to go out and walk by faith. Go out and know that we are child, children of the King. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have an awesome Sunday.